0: Let's pray, because I am extraordinarily nervous, and it's not normal that I get this nervous, but I feel like there is an importance on this morning, which I'm going to explain in a minute. So why don't we just open our hands and just close our eyes. Jesus, we we gather this morning, Lord, not for gathering's sake, not for a meeting because we need to meet, but because you are the worthy one and the holy one because you're the glorious one, Jesus, and we come just to worship you, just to glorify your name, to honor you. Jesus, you are so beautiful. And Lord, we gather this morning for you. We gather to offer all that we have as incense into your throne room to worship you, to glorify you, Jesus. Lord, I pray this morning that every word that comes out of my mouth, if it's not of you, let it fall away. But the things you want to do here this morning, Lord, Let them be established in this house, in this city, and in this nation, Lord. Come and have your way. We lay down our wills to see your will come, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right. Why am I nervous? Because during the week, I was extraordinarily exhausted, tired. Like we had had a big week and there was a lot of stuff that was happening. And I was going to, I'd been in here all day on Thursday and I was going to meet a couple of guys I haven't caught up with in a while and then coming back to lead prayer on Thursday night. And I was driving back here and I just, I was saying to God, I'm so tired. I I don't, I want to go home and I want to lay on the couch and I don't want to talk to anybody. And as I was driving back in the car, God said, I want you to pray. I want you to pray into lethargy, and I want you to pray into people being tired and being broken. And I was like, hey, God, I'm that now. I don't think I can go back and lead people in prayer with that. And as I was driving, I just felt this encouragement to come and to let go of myself, to stop throwing my toys out of the cot and to come and be with him. And as I came and we started praying, there was this just this powerful Move among among the people where we we began to, to get recharged. We began to, to be perked up back onto what God had for us, back onto where it was we were going and what God wants us to do. And as I was praying during the week, God's given me a, a small sermon. I felt him say that there's a time for us to wait and to worship with him. And we've been talking a lot over the last few weeks about laying ourselves down, about sacrifice, about what Job had to do and how Job had to operate amongst the people and, and how to give ourselves over to God and to let go of ourselves. And I felt during the week that I, there's, a, there's an encouragement that we need to actually understand what it is we're doing here. So I spent a few months a month or weeks ago, I talked about what worship is, about coming with open hands, about giving him our back and giving him the place in which we actually come to worship from. And this morning I thought, I don't want worship to be the time that we let go of our week and then we sit down refreshed and renewed to come into the sermon. I want to be able to come and break off that, that lethargic um, spirit, if you will, break off that, that apathetic spirit so that when we go into worship, we go in powerfully to achieve what God wants us to achieve. Does that make sense? So, so I want to spend this morning just briefly, hopefully I, I will be finished on the button of 10 o'clock and then we're going to go through and worship for as long as, as we need to. But I, I found myself wrestling with God on my drive back from, from like 10 minutes away to here to the prayer meeting with saying, God, I, I'm tired. I'm, 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 I don't know that I can come and give more of myself because myself is empty. I've got nothing left to give. And as I was wrestling through this, I, I started thinking, and, and I read a bit more this morning about, about depression and a, a term coined by a, a quite a reformed writer called spiritual depression. And I'd never heard of it before. And I, I was thinking to myself, do I even want to bring this up? But then God led me to Psalms 43 this morning while I was sitting upstairs. And it says this in Psalm 43. to God my exceeding joy and I will praise you with the lyre with the lyre o oh god my god why are you cast down o oh my soul and why are you in turmoil within me hope in god for i shall praise him and my salvation and my god david takes himself to a position in his spirit where he speaks against his soul He speaks against the soulish realm to break off the apathy, to break off the tiredness, to break off the depression, to break off the sadness. He speaks from his spirit man to his soul man in order to go into worship. He has to take himself to a place of victory in his spirit man in order to enter into worship. See, we've had it the other way around where we come in, we go, worship's going to bring me to a better place so I can go back into my week. But God is actually asking us to break down our soulish realm, our soul man, so that when we enter in, we enter in with power. We worship with spirit and with truth. So we actually take away the garbage before we come into worship. We don't come into worship in order to get rid of the garbage. Does that make sense? So what I want to do this morning is I want us to break that off and I want to give us back the power that we've always had so that when we stand up to worship and we enter in with the King of glory, we actually get to do what it is we're here to do, to operate and to glorify Him in power. David standing in a place, broken, defeated, tired. Who's feeling that position or knows that position? right? We're in a place right now, a spiritual place. I wish I could give you a snapshot over the last five weeks of all the people that I've spoken to from different churches, from different backgrounds, from different nations, and show you that the the conversation is the same. It's the same conversation. I'm tired. I'm beat. I'm broken. I've had enough. I don't know if we can keep doing this. What's the point? It's the same conversation again and again and again and again. It's the same place that David was sitting when he said, Oh, my soul, why are you downcast? Why are you acting like this? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? We have to now step into the place where we go, Okay, God, I I understand what it is that I'm in. I understand that this is a position and a spirit, and I'm not going to take part in it anymore. I'm not going to stand in the place to do that anymore. So if you've got a Bible... And you would like to follow with me, go to Matthew 16. I want to show you something. I've read this verse so many times, I've preached on it from this very barrel so many times, and I have not seen what I saw during the week from this verse. I'm excited. I'm excited to worship, I tell you. Matthew 16. Chapter 16, verse 13. It says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ I've I've expressed what this is, what's taking place in this verse, where Jesus is, what Caesarea Philippi was. It was a place, it was a spiritual place of the ungodly. It was the the spiritual realm of of absolute filth, if you will. It was a place that that Jesus was going to throw down against darkness. But the interesting thing that I had never seen that that God highlighted, highlighted to me during the week was that Jesus goes and he says to Simon Peter, he says, who do they say that I am? Who does the world say that I am? What's the perception out there of me? And when Simon Peter answers, he says that, that you're a prophet, that you're, a, you're, you're like Elijah, you, you're like Jeremiah, you're one of the prophets. The worldly take of, on Jesus was that he wasn't the Christ. So, so, so Jesus asks him, who do they say I am? He explains wrongly who he is. And then Jesus challenges him. He says, that's who the world says. That's the, that's the depiction of the world. That's the status quo talking about me. Now, Simon, my called out one, the one who's different from all those, the one who has a journey and a path to come on, who do you say that I am? See, Simon Peter in that very position had a choice to make. Do I choose the, the, what everyone else is saying, the status quo, or do I go differently and do I lean on Jesus, the truth of who I know, and do I answer him correctly? Right there in that position, Jesus puts to Simon the choice that we all have every single day. He puts before him two options. There's the world saying who I am, and there's me saying who I am. Which do you want to take off? Right there in the midst of the place, he challenges him to say, who am I, Simon, really to you? Simon has a choice to make. He comes back with a cracking answer. He says, you're the Christ, the Holy One the one by which was prophesied, the one who's coming to bring us into more, the Holy One. In reverence, he answers the question to say, everything the world has said to me is not what I want. What I want, Jesus, is you, right there in the midst where it wasn't the right thing to do in, in terms of the world. It wasn't the, the, um, the same stream. It wasn't what everyone else was doing. Right there, he makes a choice to be somebody different, to, to follow the Christ. But then Jesus goes on. He says, Simon, who do you say that I am? He answers you, the Christ, you the Holy One. And then he says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed it to you. See, Simon didn't answer Jesus based on what was the right answer that he knew. He answered him based on what God had revealed to him. This scene right here is what has been a challenge for the Western church for so long. We have known who Jesus is through the person who's standing at the front, through my wife or my husband who's led me to this. Why do you go to church? Well, my wife or my husband does, so I I follow along, or because it's the right thing to do. All of those things are carnal, fleshy answers. That's what Jesus was asking Simon. Why do you really want to come and be with me? What is it that you really want to be a part of? What's the reality of your worship? And he says, you, Jesus. Jesus. In his spirit, he knew who God was. In our spirit, we have to be able to know who God was. Coming to church on a Sunday morning doesn't make you a good person. Understanding the scriptures because I've told them to you doesn't make you a good person. I can't explain Jesus to my wife. I can help her understand. She can help me understand. But at the end of the day, she has to know who he is, who the Father is, because the Holy Spirit's revealed Jesus to her. It's her relationship with him. It's my relationship with him. It's your relationship with him that comes through spirit and truth, that comes through revealing of the Spirit who the Father is, who Jesus is. But then... The caveat, the the, the delicious part on top is that we all get to gather together like this and worship the King that's been revealed to us in our hearts. It's a real relationship with the Father done through the Spirit who reveals Christ, the Savior. Does that make sense? It has to be yours. It cannot be mine. When I go to heaven, I don't... You don't get to go, oh, what did Ben teach me? What did, oh, ben didn't show me that about you, Jesus. I'm so sorry. I wish he did better. Oh, I'm sorry, my husband didn't show me that, or my wife didn't show me that. I wish they did better. Jesus says, no, what did you do with the things I put in your hands? That's the trick. We have to get to a place where this is my relationship with God the Father. We have to get to a place where the Spirit has revealed Christ to me, which has allowed me to see who the Father is. No one gets to the Father except through me, Jesus said. And it's the Spirit that reveals the truth of the Father, reveals the truth of the Spirit. But what we have to begin to understand, what we have to break down, especially in the West... Because it's not my job to put on a flashy scene, to put on enough programs, to put on enough this or enough that, that encourages you to get along. That's not the church. That's not what happened. Acts 2 says that the disciples, they devoted themselves they devoted themselves to the things of God why is this so why is this so challenging why is this so important to me right now because we as a bride we as a body we as a people need to be equipped and ready for what's coming so that when we step out in there we have the right tools to actually go and operate what God wants us to do you see we have built and and in a lot of ways, in a good way, about the evangelism, about the evangelistic um, nature, but we haven't been able to train a people to actually go out and do that well. I've always said, ever since I go to church, ever ever since we started leading, I don't want you to bring your new friends to church to get them saved. That's not what this is about. That's too heavy on me. That's too heavy on Jess. You get them saved out there. Bring them in and we'll help equip them. Us as a people, will help equip them. We'll help build them up. We'll help send them in the way. But it's your job out there as it is my job out there. But in here, we come, we encourage one another, we worship the King, we glorify who He is as an overflow of our relationship with God during the week. Does that make sense? Jesus says to him, "Who do you say that I am?" He puts it back onto Simon Peter to say, "Who do you say that it is?" Simon Simon answers him in a in a cracking way, and then Jesus says, "Because of your answer, because of your revelation of the Father, now all these things will outwork. Now all these things will outflow." And he goes on to say, "On this rock I will build my church. Why? Because you have revelation of the Father, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Why? Because you have revelation of the Father." I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Why? Because you have revelation of the Father. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound on earth. And whatever you loose, sorry, will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Why? Because you have revelation of the Father. And it always goes back. It always goes back to the revelation that you got of the Father. That's the picture. Everything that Jesus says will come. Everything that's been prophesied for 2020. Everything that's been building up. Everything that's just there on the hill. That's just there over the. It's we're almost there. It's about to break. It's about to break. All comes back to this scene. Who do you say that I am, Jesus? uh, Simon. Who do you say that I am? You're the Christ. Because that's been revealed to you from heaven, because it's revelation, it's not in your head, it comes from your heart. Now I will release the things that have been released. What you bind will be bound, what you loose will be loosed. It all comes back to this. It all comes back to us having a full, real reality of understanding who the Father is, understanding who Jesus is, understanding who the Holy Spirit is and how he moves amongst us. He says this: "The gates of hell shall not prevail against it." Gates of hell—that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean the the place of internal damnation. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Gates, in an ancient Jewish understanding, meant authority. The gates was where they would go to actually rule and reign on things. So, if somebody was to be stoned, we see—um—his name Paul, Peter. We see these guys being stoned. They're stoned at the gates in the entrance into the city because it was a place of authority that was handed down. It was a place where the judge would rule. When when ancient Jews read gates, instantly they knew authority. They knew what it meant. It meant the authority that was given by the people who owned the gates. We see it in, in Deuteronomy with his stonings, in Genesis where the circumcisions, in Job where he pleads for defense. It was all done at the gates because the gates meant authority. So when Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against you. He's talking about the authority of the dark realm. The authority of the enemy will not prevail against the people. So now there's two authorities, the authority given by God and the authority given by Satan. And he's saying the authority given by Satan will not prevail against you. When? When you understand by revelation who the Father is. That's the kicker. That when we get into a battle and we start getting beat and thrashed and things are ripping us apart, we're going, I don't understand why I'm in this place, Job. I don't understand why I'm hurt. I don't understand why I'm tired. Because you're losing sight of who the Father is. So he says, come back and rest. Come back and drink at my water. Why? Because it's where we regain our understanding of who Christ is. It's where we operate back in the authority we were always given. When you're feeling beat, when you're feeling tired, it's going to happen. We're in a war. But there's a position that we go back to that we keep reminding ourselves, Revelation, who is the Father? Who does He say that I am? Who does He, what is happening in this place? We go back, we go back, we go back to this place. The gates of hell, the authority of the enemy will not prevail against the people who understand who the Father is. Jebus, I have three minutes. Psalm 24, quickly turn to Psalm 24. I shouldn't have said I was going to finish on the button. I knew I wasn't going to get to the button. It's going to make sense once I read Psalm 24, and it's going to make sense what we're going to go into. Psalm 24 says this, a Psalm of David, the earth's, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the, the face of the God of Jacob. Selah, lift up your hands, O gates, lift up your heads, O gates. Lift up your heads, O authority and be lifted up o ancient doors that the king of glory may come in who is the king of glory the lord strong and mighty the lord mighty in battle lift up your heads o gates and lift them up o ancient doors that the king of glory may come in who is the king of glory the lord of hosts he is the king of glory sela pause quickly go back to go back to psalm 45 43 Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Who have? Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to where? Your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O soul, cast down a downward-looking man? Why are you in turmoil with me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and God. Back to Psalm 24. He who does not lift up his soul to what is false... And does not swear deceitfully. What David is explaining right here is that our soul gets caught in a position of downward looking. What happens when a kid does something they know they shouldn't do? Where do they look? To the floor. Why? Because they don't want to face their father or their mother standing over them to say, What have you done? This is a place of dishonor. This is a place of honor, looking up to the authority. What David is saying in his place, what David is saying is that we have a generation of people looking here. But then he warns us, when we look up, don't look at the things that aren't of God. Don't look at the things that are deceitful. Don't look to the things to take us out. See, one of the big things we've been hearing from a lot of people in the last six months is what's happening, where's the church, what are we doing, why are we going, how come it's not, why doesn't it look? What we've done is we've looked up to the wrong place. We've looked up to the wrong thing. David is saying, look up, O people, look up and cast your eyes on me. Cast your eyes on who I am. Cast your eyes on what I'm doing in this place. Cast your eyes on me because there's refuge in my wings. There's refuge in who I am. There's refuge and there's a battle plan that you don't understand. Lift up your heads, O gates. Why are we the gates? Because in our salvation God has given us the authority, the keys to the kingdom. We are the authority in this place. We hold the authority. You and I hold the authority in this realm, given by Jesus. So when David is saying, lift up your heads, O gates, he's saying the authority that does what? That ushers in the King of glory. God will move in this place when his people come into unison of the authority by which we've been given. It's our job to see the king of glory come in. We have to open the door, invite him in. God, come. God, we've cleaned our hands. We've pured our hearts. Our eyes are set ablaze on you. Our eyes are set ablaze on you. Come in to your people and and let us worship you, King. That's the authority we've been given. That's what this is. I love all of you so deeply. I love chatting around the coffee machine. I love talking, but that's not why I come. I come because together as a people in our authority, we get to usher in the King of Glory. I get to open those gates. We get to open the doors with all of you and say, you come, come and rest on my life. Come and rest on us as a people. Come and move in us the way you want to move, Jesus. That's our job as believers. That's our job as the church. This city, the Gold Coast, needs us. It needs us. Why? Because we carry the authority of the Great One and the Holy One. Because we carry the authority given to us by Christ. Look, we can make signs. Jess can draw really well. We can make up spectacular signs. And we can go and march and picket all the days we want. We can stand out the front. We can wave our flags. But Jesus is saying, this is not a battle between flesh and blood. This is a battle done right here. Right on this carpet. On your carpet at home through the authority that I've been given. Lift up your heads, O oh gates. Lift up your position. Stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at, oh, me, Ben. Stop looking at yourself because you're tired. You go back to that place and you get on your hands and knees and you worship me. I have to pull up in the car park and say, you goose, Ben. Do you realize what you're going to miss if you drive away? Like David did. Lift your head, soul. Why are you so downcast? This is, this is your spirit speaking to you. The one in which you has authority over you. Get off your bottom and worship him. Worship the king of glory in your authority and watch what I'll do in a city. Watch what I'll do in a nation. Watch what I'll do in a people. I'll restore marriages. I'll bring broken people home. I'll restore the hearts of the lost. Who is the king of glory? He's the Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O authority. Lift them up, O ancient doors. that The king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? He's the Lord of hosts. He's the king of glory. That's what Simon by Jonah said to Jesus in Caesarea Philippi. Was He said, I know who you are. And because I know who you are now, I know who I am. And I will worship you. Matthew 16 says this, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. I, the Lord, will give you, O authority, the keys to the kingdom of my dwelling place. That's where we stand right now. We stand in a place where we've been given the keys to the kingdom of the dwelling place of the most high God, Yahweh. In this realm, we hold the keys, which means what? We get to unlock the door, crack it open. Lord, come. Come in to this place. Come in and move on this place. This is so important for us to understand because when we come to worship, we come from that place to say, in the authority, God, you've given me. In the authority, you've given Jess. In the authority, you've given Tanya. Together, we come together and we strengthen, we link our arms and we stand at a place where we say, this place right here, because we are here, is holy ground. This place, because we are here, has the kingdom of heaven, the dwelling place of the Most High, because we've been given authority to establish that right here. Do you know what amen means? Amen means to make it so, to establish it right here. Your kingdom come on earth, where? Here, like it is where? In heaven. Why? Because we've been given the keys through the authority God has given us. So this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. We're going to worship. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I have no idea what it's going to look like. I have no idea what it's going to sound like, but we're going to come from that place of authority. We're going to come to give him glory and honor because he's given us the keys And we've been sitting inside with the door locked for way too long. We've been sitting on the couch while Jesus is knocking, yelling out, I wish you'd come. I wish you'd come. I wish you'd come through the door. But right here, he said, open the door. You've got the keys. Lift up your head, O gates. Lift up your head, O authority by which I've made you worship and honor and usher me in to the place you're at so why don't we stand